Lakers beat the Bulls. Did they save Luke Walton's job? And make or break time for the Philadelphia 76ers coming up over the next couple of weeks. And a rundown of the full night in the NBA. So many points being scored tonight. So many points. We'll talk about it right now on the Locked On NBA podcast. Let's go. You are locked on the NBA. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your Wednesday Locked On NBA podcast, and if you didn't score 140 points on the night, then you didn't participate in the Tuesday night in the NBA. We're going to talk about all that and more. I am John Corrales, one of your co-hosts here on a Wednesday night. Also co-host the Locked On Celtics podcast. I'm a beat writer covering the Boston Celtics for MassLive.com. Find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, credential member of the media and an editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com. You can find me on Twitter at Nola Jake. So, Jake, a lot of people played uh, no defense tonight in the NBA. Uh, some of those games, even if you played good defense, those points are still going to get scored. I mean, this, the point totals were out of control. So let's go through... The night in the NBA, you didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. We did. We call this bit too long, didn't watch, and we're going to start in Indiana where the Pacers blew out the Phoenix Suns. Also, blowouts are a common theme here. They blew out the Suns 131-97, 131 points scored by the Indiana Pacers, uh, 20 apiece by Boyan Bogdanovich and Tyreek Evans, but the return from Miles Turner was the big deal for the Pacers, who put up 131 points uh, by while also only getting eight from Victor Oladipo. Yeah, that it was just too much kind of an onslaught top to bottom from the Pacers over the Phoenix Suns in this one. And Indiana's deeper than they are. This is kind of how it goes. Also, if you turn the ball over 19 times and give Indiana 29 points off turnovers, you're going to lose pretty badly probably. Yeah, for the Phoenix Suns, I think one of the questions that's coming out of this now that Kelly Oubre is playing pretty well, and he played pretty well in this game. He had 16, uh, was a bad free throw shooting night away from scoring 20. And I think the questions for the Phoenix Suns are, is Kelly Oubre going to become a starter for this team? And what does that mean moving forward? The trade trade deadline is coming up. Man, I cannot speak tonight. The Trade deadline is coming up. They've got a glut of wings, wings that other teams will want. And if Kelly Oubre is playing this well, and he's playing this well on both ends of the floor, can he be the guy that Phoenix Suns count count on in the long term? And does that mean that one of those other guys becomes expendable? Yeah, probably. I still think it's going to be a quiet deadline or maybe like a not sexy trade deadline is the better way to put it. But certainly they're, they're going to be sellers. And I think, you know, I kind of did not like that Ubre trade early on for Ariza at all for either side. I like it way more for Phoenix now, seeing how he's played over the past couple of games. Yeah, I've, I liked it for Phoenix because Ariza was just a waste after he signed and just kind of said, okay, I got my money, whatever. So I thought taking a flyer on a young guy like that really would work out. And it might, it might. And and we'll see what it turns out to be for the Phoenix Suns. Moving on, the Atlanta Hawks beat the OKC Thunder 142-126. Just ridiculous numbers. This was actually close going into the fourth quarter. I, I like the quarter breakdown. So tight after the first quarter, Atlanta outscores the 
Thunder 45-30 in the second. Then the, the Thunder returned the favor 41-27. And then Atlanta 45-26 in the fourth. My big takeaway from this, can we please start talking about John Collins in Atlanta? Please, he might be having the most underrated season in the NBA right now. Yeah, he, he was awesome in this one. 12 of, uh, uh, sorry, 12 of 14 on the night, 26 points. Trey Young, the rookie, chipping in two. He's not the most efficient scorer, but when he's going to get four threes like he did in this one in route to 24 points, you know, maybe you don't trade Luka Doncic for him, but hey, he looked pretty good, chipped in 11 assists as well, though the seven turnovers didn't even matter in this one somehow. Uh, for the Oklahoma City Thunder, my big takeaway here is, okay, so Russell Westbrook had a great numbers game here, 31 points, 11 assists, 11 of 14 from the line, but 0 of 3 from 3, shooting now, Jake, 22.8% from 3 on the season. Yeah, that's a concern. Like it, it is, but they can kind of be built to win games. Like they still put up 126 without him shooting well, and he hasn't shot well all year, and they're still pretty good. When you can kind of build around the defense that they have and all those role players that know their roles and fill those roles well, and they can kind of get out and run and play in the fast break, I don't think you need the shooting as much maybe as other teams do. My my biggest issue with that is that he is just going to take those threes. He's going to take a lot of them. Now, granted, three not much, not many, but that's not a normal night for him. He's going to take more. When it comes down to it, when it comes down the stretch, he's he's firing away, and he should not be firing away. That's one of my biggest fears for Oklahoma City is that as much progress as they made. That when push comes to shove, Westbrook's going to be bombing away from three and he's going to have no business doing it. And the worst thing that can happen for them is that he has one game where they start to fall and the- Oh, he just gets confident? Yeah, he get he has that one game. It's like me playing golf. I play 18 holes, 17 are total crap, but I par one hole and it makes me think that I'm like Tiger Woods when I'm not. It's, uh, so that's the best example I can give you. Moving on, Milwaukee. Over Miami, 124-86, just an absolute demolition. Giannis Antetokounmpo with a triple-double, 12-10-10, only played 24 minutes. Seven players in double figure. Everybody scored uh, that played. Bledsoe had a team-high 17, and the big number for the Bucks for me, Jake, 35 assists on 48 field goals. Yeah, they looked good in this one. The Heat did not. You also saw Dion Waiters get pretty upset after the game about his playing time, playing just 12 minutes in this one, scoring two points. I mean, look, it's Milwaukee. They've kind of swooned a little bit, but they're still Milwaukee. It's the Heat. The Heat just don't have uh, – they have weird, like, six-man depth all around the roster, and that's not just going to win against top teams. Well, let's, let's be clear here. Dion Waiters was not just upset. The quote was, F patience – I want to play. I've been patient. And that's not the only F-bomb that he dropped in that. He dropped probably, I think, two or three other expletives. Dion Waiters wants to play. He's not playing in Miami right now. This is a problem. They've already got a Hassan Whiteside problem. This is bad, bad, bad for the Miami Heat. 
Oh, yeah. And you, you've got to wonder if they should just kind of – like this team isn't going anywhere. So if you want to kind of look at buyers and sellers as we get close to the trade deadline, this is a team that probably needs to find some way to maybe get out of some of these contracts. But, you know, being this close and uh, kind of hanging around in the East probably means they're not going to do it. But, man, yeah, Waiters probably needs to go. Probably. Moving on, Golden State, Denver. Oh, man, 142-111. This one was basically over in the first quarter. When Golden State put up a record 51 points in the first quarter. They Ten made threes. Unreal. Denver scored 38 first quarter points and came out of it down 13. Are you kidding me? Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, 31 apiece. Draymond Green... Four points, 13 assists. Draymond Green was a plus 41 on the night. I was going to bring that up if you didn't because it's just silly. Four points and a plus 41. The Warriors have kind of figured something out. They've kind of been a little off for them this year. Not much because we knew they were capable of turning it on like this. But you've seen over the past, what, three, four games, something like that, they're not staggering Durant and Curry anymore. And they're just keeping those two on the court together. And it's like a reinvention of the death lineup, whatever you want to call it. That's kind of the key to making them do this. I don't even see this a bad loss for Denver when you have a team like the Warriors who shoot 60% from the field and 53.8% overall. They had an E field goal percentage above 70. Like, what are you supposed to do there? <laughs> That's just a stupid number. <laughs> yeah, like, no matter what, they could have played amazing defense on this team, but if you shoot that well, you're you're losing by this amount. There's, no, there's nothing you can do about that one. Here's the Denver takeaway. Comes from uh, Coach Mike Malone afterwards, who says the Warriors Warriors, quote, sent a message. They have levels. We don't have that level yet. Take this failure, learn from it, and go forward. And that, to me, sums it up just so perfectly because it it's really kind of not surprising. It's it's We've talked about it on this podcast that the Warriors were going to coast, and they've had other issues. It's not the same thing as is coasting in the past. They had the Durant, Draymond episode and blah, blah, blah. So it's a little bit different for the Warriors this season. But still, they have levels that they can reach. And tonight was just a ridiculous level. The The Nuggets have been great. They've deserved all of the accolades. They've played exceptionally well. They don't have what the Warriors did to them Again, in Denver, they don't have that level, and and that's where you need to be if you're going to challenge the Kings, the not Sacramento Kings, the Kings of the. West. I was going to say, <laughs> it's like I think they could beat the Kings. The Kings of the West is what I'm trying to say. No, and and no one has it. This was a complete statement game by the Warriors, kind of letting everyone know, be like, yeah, you know, we're not doing as well as we have in years past, but by the way. We're still capable of this. Like you said, they have another level that they haven't been hitting, and they're capable of getting there whenever they want, and this should just strike the fear into the rest of the NBA. Two more games here, but we're, our next two segments are going to be on the Lakers and the Sixers. So let's start with the Sixers. We'll talk about them in more depth, but a couple of things to get into with this game here. They beat the Minnesota Timberwolves 149-107. Jimmy Butler facing his Wolves. And for me, the quote came from Jeff Teague. This is what really sums up the game for me. That was no normal game, he said. 
Them dudes was at our heads. Jimmy wanted to beat us. We all know that. Joel and Bede wanted to beat Cat. This ain't a normal game. There ain't nothing normal about that game. That was a game we all had marked, and they dogged us. That is not what you want to hear if you're a Minnesota fan, because that just says that the Sixers were in their head. Cat and Embiid have a thing, and Embiid just dominated. Embiid, what were the final numbers for Embiid? 31 points, 13 rebounds for Joel Embiid. Thorough domination from him. Uh, Jeff Teague letting people know that Jimmy Butler still owns everybody in Minnesota. I think that's just bad for the Timberwolves. Yeah, you know, this was also, I think, a bit of a statement game from the Sixers, kind of similar to the Warriors, because I watched this one, and look, I'll admit I haven't watched every Sixers game here, but they looked far more impressive in this game than I'd seen them so far, running the type of offense that they run around, and we'll talk about this coming up, but... Man, they showed you the type of team they could be. And if if this was like a statement game, you would have thought it would have been a statement game from Jimmy Butler. This was a statement game from top to bottom with this club. And, boy, they look good. Yeah, they really did. Uh, but a lot more to talk about with the Sixers. That's coming up in our third segment, so stick around for that. Our second segment is coming up next. We're going to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers and their issues with Luke Walton and his job security, they beat the Chicago Bulls 107 to 100 in an ugly finish to what was a very explosive night in the NBA. Contavious Caldwell Pope had 11 points. Uh, Kyle Kuzma had eight rebounds in basically an ugly game for this. When we come back, should Luke Walton be on the hot seat? We'll talk about that. And a reminder, if you got a smart speaker for Christmas, guess what? You can use that to play podcasts from the Locked On Podcast Network. Go ahead and wake it up, whatever whatever smart speaker you have, and tell it to play podcasts Locked On, whatever your favorite team is, whatever your favorite, whether it's NBA, anything else. Wake it up and tell your smart speaker to play Locked On, play podcast, Locked On, whatever it is. We're going to be right back with more on Luke Walton. The Los Angeles Lakers are struggling. They're three and seven in their last ten. Well, they were three and seven in their last. They're now four and six in their last ten. They came into Tuesday night. With a couple of bad losses, they've been losing to bad teams. They, of course, do not have LeBron James, who's been out for a while with a groin injury. And all of this has led to the push to fire Luke Walton. And there have been multiple stories out there about his job security, how Magic Johnson wants him out, uh, how the, um, how Jeannie Buss is trying to protect him. So Jake, Let's just start with this. Should Luke Walton be on the hot seat? Maybe a little bit. I think this is kind of overdone to a degree. Whenever you lose LeBron James from your team, you're going to struggle. It's kind of as simple as that. He masks a lot of deficiencies. Also, this is a weird Roster, I know who I, I especially am supposed to be enamored with this young core, but maybe they're just not that good. And they didn't really go out to try and make any 
big free agent signing this offseason when they miss out on a guy like Paul George, other than LeBron James, I should say. They didn't get that second star that they likely need there to really be competitive. So because of that, you have to look at this and just realize there's limitations here, and maybe this is kind of what should be expected so far. LeBron's going to come back. They're going to be good again, and not good again, but good enough again, and that's kind of that. I think maybe if you want to look or level kind of any criticism at Walton, it might be that those young guys really haven't come along as much as you would like them to, to maybe either be those trade pieces that you'd want to be, or guys that can lead you when LeBron James is out or when you're missing a star, but there's so many things that go into that, and it's also been what, a season and a half? You know, I don't know if that's a fair evaluation but also, did we ever figure out if Lakers fans got free tacos or if they're paying for them because that's all the broadcast wanted to talk about <laughs> at the end of this game? I'm still confused. Uh, I don't think they got the free tacos. I think you have to hold the team under 100. Yeah, I think. Okay, I don't know. They had me confused because we spent five minutes talking about it. That's how boring this game was at times. Yeah, yeah. It's. I, I don't want to get into the players only thing. Yeah. I have no, sorry, sorry to get us off track. I have thoughts, but um, so we'll move on from that. However, uh, I agree with you that this roster is is just not set up to be good without LeBron James. The, I think L.A. Lakers fans are are really they really need a, a reality check, and the the. Way this team was constructed, my take coming into this Lakers season was that they were almost punting this year, basically saying, we get LeBron James. This was the year to get LeBron James. We're putting all of these one-year contracts around him. You know, Rondo, Stevenson, McGee, all of these guys, Beasley, and... They're not sticking around for this year. This wasn't ever supposed to be the year. So LeBron James, like you said, masks so much. He raises the game of everybody that's out there. I think Lakers fans may have kind of lost sight of what this season was supposed to be. It was LeBron's coming in. We're getting our first taste of LeBron. This team is not going to be the team where we're creating cap space next season. This off season, we're supposed to try and go get either Kawhi Leonard or, or maybe you're going to get, um, Clay Thompson or, or somebody you're using your cap space to start building around and maybe you flip some of these young players. Maybe you take Brandon Ingram and you like, I love the way you hinted at how you're supposed to be <laughs> with these young players. I, I know who the they're trying to guy. impress. Right. So I, I, that's all, that's all fun. That's all great. But that's, that's what this season was always going to be about. I think LeBron James is actually kind of relieved to have a year off from desperately trying to lead a team to the finals. This was Houston is supposed to be in the way. The 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 Warriors are in the way. The Nuggets are in the way. There's so many teams that are in the way of the Lakers that if you think that firing Luke Walton is the answer to putting you into this next stratosphere, you're deluded. 
This is not what it's supposed to be. This is, this is an off year for the Lakers. This is integrate LeBron, get him used to whatever system. And that this is why I think Jeannie Buss is actually trying to kind of keep Luke Walton there and, and foster this familiarity. It's very much in the same mold of Pat Riley when LeBron went to him and asked him if he still had the itch to coach. And he said, no. And basically saying, Spolster's your coach. Go figure it out. So Magic and Rob Polinka are coming in saying, we want to change. And who knows if that's LeBron-driven or not. But Jeannie Buss is saying, no. Walton is your coach. LeBron, go figure it out with Luke. You guys figure it out. And I think it's a smart play because – it's not just for continuity that's going to help Luke Walton become a better coach. That is going to let him become work with LeBron, a partnership. And then you guys figure it out. So I think it's smart. The the side question here is who else? Who are you going to get? So that was that's what I was going to say. Then you're going to end up promoting Brian Shaw to being the interim head coach, Mark Madsen. Disaster you, in Denver. Yeah. You've also got Kurt Rambis who's, who's doing something oh in their front God. office and like, do you want him to be? No, like there's no good options. I, I've never been a huge fan. And look, I hear it in New Orleans all the time when Alvin Gentry's not doing well and they're like, promote Darren Ehrman to be head coach or promote, uh, Chris Finch. And it's like, they're on the team. They're running things. It's not going to change anything miraculously by getting rid of the head coach and putting up his lead assistant who's probably going to emulate what was already put in place for the most part. And then if you don't do that, maybe you end up with the, the opposite team they played tonight in Jim Boylan who nearly had a mutiny because he went so hard-ass on those guys. Like, look, it's like you said. It's not even year zero for this Lakers team. It's like year negative one. They didn't bring anyone in. And also when you lose a dude who has a usage rate of above 31 percent things get thrown off roles get changed it takes a while to really get all of that solidified and all of a sudden it just got thrown under the bus for the past uh, 10 11 games now you're gonna have issues when that's the case so here's what i think is really happening with the lakers i think that magic and rob plank are unhappy with the effort and i think they they might feel like some of these guys might feel a little entitled and this is a situation, I think, not that they think Luke Walton is bad. I, I really don't know if he's a bad coach. Uh, I haven't watched Luke Walton so intently to know if, whether his rotations are off or whatever. But I think this is a situation where it, Magic, the old school guy, says, you can't fire the players. So we're going to fire the coach to light a fire under the players. And I just think that's a bad move. Look, it's some, it sometimes works. It, it worked for a little bit in Minnesota, maybe, but also, also, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a short term situation too. Yeah, it is entirely. Look, I don't know if Luke Walton's the, the head, like long term head coach of this team at all. But you know what? I can tell you firing him tomorrow is not going to change the fortunes of this team whatsoever this season. And that's kind of what you need to look at. Now you can, st- no one's saying he might not be here next year, but I just don't think you need to make the move during the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you let him and LeBron figure things out. If this is a light a fire under the player situation, it does make me wonder if the Lakers are going to jump into the trade deadline frenzy or 
whatever, and say, okay, fine. If if we can't fire the coach, then we're going to trade somebody to send the message that way. I, I, I just get this feeling, and it's just the feeling that this is because magic comes from the old school, and that this is an old school mentality. You fire the coach in a situation like this, or you make a trade for a, whatever. You trade away a player, and people in the locker room go, oh, crap. Now we have to play hard, and that sends the message. It's just it's just an inkling that I have. So we'll watch for the Lakers to see what they do at the trade deadline. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I agree with Jeannie Buss, and I think Luke Walton will be a better coach for it. I think LeBron will be – he, he understands the game as well as anybody. So uh, I think that partnership can work. Uh, so – I don't think Luke Walton's getting fired anytime soon. We'll see what happens. Maybe we're right. Maybe we're wrong. We're going to move forward. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers who are embarking on a critical stretch of their season. So much can change in Philly. We're going to talk about that when we come back on the Locked On NBA Podcast. Great piece on ESPN from Tim Bontemps on Tuesday about the Philadelphia 76ers. And the headline basically sums it up. The next three weeks could make or break the 76ers. And it includes a quote from Joel Embiid who says, quote, I'm excited. We're going to see how good we are and how good we can become or how bad we are. Now, we said earlier that the Sixers destroyed uh, the, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves tonight, 149-107. That's a great start, although I will say that Minnesota has, uh, when they see Jimmy Butler, I think they wet themselves and they can't function around Jimmy Butler. But moving forward, the Philadelphia 76ers have a lot of questions. And a lot of chemistry questions have been already raised since they made the move for Jimmy Butler. The fit has not been exactly great. The, there are questions about their offense. There's a question about the happiness of Jimmy Butler on the team. And I've seen articles written by Philly fans that suggest that Jimmy Butler should get traded. That the, the experiment hasn't worked out the way they thought. It's too tenuous and they just, it's better to cut bait now. I've also seen the suggestion, I think it came from Kevin O'Connor on the ringer, that the Sixers trade Ben Simmons to your New England, New Orleans Pelicans, Jake, uh, for Anthony Davis. And, but the, the common thread here is there are suggestions for blowing this up in Philly and going a very significant new direction. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. And I actually don't agree with it. Like the Lakers situation, I think this is one where patience is okay. Isn't bad here. This is a team that to get Jimmy Butler in had to trade away and uh, basically all of their depth. Robert Covington is a defensive player of the year candidate. Losing him really does hurt. Same thing for Sarge. And you're very top heavy and then it's going to lead to moments where they can kind of keep things going. But the second those backups come in is when the opponent goes on runs and you see this on a lot of teams too. So it's kind of interesting to see where pe- people are saying they need to blow it up. Look, it, it, there, there's a question of fit there certainly between their 
big three in Butler and Bede and Simmons. But overall, in the 23 games they've played, they have a net rating of positive one. Nothing sexy or exciting about that, but at least it's not negative. Their offense overall still ranks in the top ten. They're the ninth best in the league. Defensively, they could improve, yes, but we see the talent they have on there. They should be better than they are. So it's likely just an effort thing or coaching thing, in my opinion, with that. So overall, like, you know, this is a team that's 13 games above 500. What are we panicking about? Well, the panic comes from the corner, which the Sixers are so perilously close to painting themselves into because, like you said, they traded away their depth. It starts, go back to the Fultz trade with Boston. They they gave up their first-round pick with Sacramento. Now, Sacramento is playing ex- better than anybody thought, so that pick becomes a becomes much less consequential than the potential top five pick than everybody that everybody thought it was going to be. They trade away basically Jason Tatum for Markel Fultz and imagine Tatum on this team rather than Fultz. That changes a lot about the, the course of the Sixers. So they get Fultz and that didn't pan out. Now, then they react to that by saying, well, we need a third, a third star. Fultz isn't going to be that guy. They gave up two very important pieces in Sarich and Covington. Those are the types of pieces that help you win championships. And they gave that up for Butler and Butler comes in and has a, I don't want to say blow up. I don't want to, I don't want to overstate it, but has an issue with Brett Brown and he's not playing at a superstar level. And the thought in Philadelphia is that Butler wants to win and wants to score and wants to do all of these things, but he wants to do it on his own terms. And if he can't do it on his own terms, then he's just not going to do it. That's the feeling that I've seen. So, good, you got to... Yeah, no, so, like, look, I, I don't think anyone's going to say that he's not difficult to be around. And, like, we, I, I don't know the degree that his confrontation with... Uh, Brett Bound, uh, Brett Bound was to kind of make it a big thing or whether it was they kind of just worked some things out and maybe it's kind of just normal and how it goes. And I agree with you that losing those guys that they traded for him are certainly important pieces, but Jimmy Butler is going to help you win a title more than those two guys were going to do. And then I think I watched this game tonight because I wanted to see would it be Jimmy Butler just trying to take over and do his thing and really stick it to his old team, but have 19 points in this one and he was really good playing with in the offense, a lot more dribble handoffs than isolations, things like that, better ball movement for exactly what they want to do. And I look at this game, and it's maybe it's it's elevated because they're playing against the Timberwolves, but I look at it and I go, yeah, this could work. You've got to be smart over the next year or two and adding those right kind of fringe pieces that help you win a title, but you can get those. Those are oftentimes replacement level or above replacement level, not necessarily huge swings you need to make. And if you can do that, this team should be pretty competitive. I get it. And, like, uh, there's weird things going on with the Fultz uh, drama, the fact that Ben Simmons will not shoot the ball really whatsoever is important too. But overall, I don't know. When you watch them tonight, they look so good. It's like, if you just do that, you guys are going to be fine. 
Yeah, there there is a, a very strong counterpoint to be made to all of these suggestions for a trade that just give it time. Just give it time. You can't make judgments over the course of a month or two. There's always a growing pain. So, but like I said, uh, and I'm not advocating for one or the other. I I can see people's uh, rationale for for wanting to go either way. I don't think overreacting is the the right way to go. I can also see that overreacting by saying, no, we have to, we have to let this play out. That could be a sort of overreaction if it's obvious that it's not going to work. So really there's a simple solution for the, the Philadelphia 76ers beyond all of this is that Ben Simmons just start Getting a jump shot. If he can just develop a jump shot, then so many of these fit issues just change because it like it vanishes if he could, you know, take some threes and maybe make a couple of them. It really, it really just boils down to that. The the simplest solution for the 76ers is really for Ben Simmons to start taking and making some jump shots. Uh it, but he refuses to do that. Probably because he refuses to shoot with the correct hand, which, by the way, I'm 100% all in on. At first, I thought it was kind of funny, but I am 100, <laughs> 100% in now on the Ben Simmons is a right-handed guy. He's a right-handed shooter, and somewhere along the way, and I'm just guessing now, that somewhere along the way, someone in his life said, here's a ball, take it, and you're using your left hand. You are a lefty now. Because lefties are harder to guard. Because everybody's so used to guarding a right-hander that we naturally push people to their left. And that's a mistake that most people make growing up. And that gives left-handers a natural kind of advantage. Because we just it's, it's odd. We don't see it. Everybody's so used to right-handers. So that's what I think happens. And damn it, I, I'm all in on this theory. So, But that's honestly the whole pick-and-roll issue. The whole you can't run a pick and roll with Ben Simmons because the way people play, it just take and make jumpers, and that solves everything. Also, if you look out, uh, play. I know I get what you're saying about just being patient for being patient's sake can definitely be an overreaction if you think this isn't going to work. But if you look at their cap sheet for next year, and if you take Jimmy Butler kind of out of everything, they could have something, or even throw him in. Like they have a ton of cap space available. So even if it doesn't work out with him, you still have like close to forty million somewhere in there, thirty-five to forty million in cap space. Even if you let Butler walk, like you can kind of bring in someone to be that third guy. And at the end of the day, it's just like, okay, this wasn't the biggest deal, I guess. Certainly you'd rather have Covington and Sarge there and maybe a guy like Jason Tatum if we're going further back. But they're still in a decent position to be competitive, I think. Yeah, here here's the, the thing that has been kind of bandied about on the Locked On Celtics podcast. Philly, with their cap space, signs the Morris Twins and brings brings the Morris twins back to Philly and it just fills a lot of what they need because Marcus Morris is has turned into a really good three-point shooter and Markeith Morris is a bruising big even though they're twins they play that 3 and the 4 that helps them out so so much bring the Morris twins back to Philly and keep Jimmy Butler make that work and Philly is off to the races i think 
That yeah, that makes simple, sense. That can be a simple solution <laughs> to the 76ers, and that really, really bothers me because we've got one of those two guys, and he's been huge for the Celtics, and I do not want him to do that. But I can totally see him going home. I can totally see Markeith going home because they are a million percent Philly guys. Like Markeith, the, uh, a week ago at a shoot-around, he finished his shoot It was a Sunday, and he's like, let me get out of here because the, the Eagles are on. At 4.30. Like, he is he's Philly to the – as Philly can get. So, yeah, I think – honestly, in all of that, I think the simple solution is to sign the Morris Twins, and they'll be they'll be really, really good. All right. I think that's a good place to end this podcast. We've gone long enough. Thank you for listening to the Locked On NBA podcast. Again, I am your Wednesday host. I am John Corrales, beat writer for MassLive.com. I cover the Boston Celtics. For them and for the Locked On Celtics podcast, find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. Remember, as we finish this podcast, if you got a smart speaker, ask it to play Locked On whatever your favorite team is or play Locked On NBA or Locked On NFL. It's all there, and you can listen to it on your smart speaker. Thanks for listening to the Locked On NBA Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network.